first thing I want to ask of you is that you have this as your backdrop to what I'm going to be talking about. God loves his girls. Don't ever let the enemy make you think that he doesn't. Regardless what culture has done to women throughout time, God works in culture. He doesn't will how it's going to go. He loves women. And Jesus came and showed us how he felt about women. He raised them up literally and figuratively. He showed them value. He held them up for everyone to see their value and how he saw them. He defended them. He protected them. He taught them. He revealed himself to them. Next month, Crystal's going to teach us about his first words after his resurrection were, dear woman. That's how he saw women. And I want you to remember that as we get started. Now, as I've prepared for this, it's, this word trigger is so overused, but it's the only word I can think of to use. It's brought up stuff in me. And that's, that's going to happen for some of you here this morning. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is here. And I want you to p- just picture him with you and by you as, um, as that happens. And he's, he's here to bring comfort and healing um, and freedom in many areas. So... Never before in history has there been more awareness of the sexual assault and the sexual harassment that women face. Um, With cell phones now capturing the events, high schoolers, you know, posting things on social media. Um, It was just in the news that there was a 12-year-old, two 13-year-olds and a 14-year-old that were um, on trial or, you know, a first-degree rape. That's middle school age. It's, It's all over. Um, Women are being encouraged to come forward, and the breadth of the problem can feel overwhelming. Uh, Sexual harassment and assault are no respecter of persons. Male, female, child, elderly, men, poor, wealthy. It spans culture, it spans race, and it spans country. But as women, we have a very unique situation. My husband can go for a run at night. He doesn't even think twice about looking to see if there might be someone that might want to harm him in any way. But as women, I go for a run at night, and I'm looking around. I take mace. I'm looking around to make, I know my surroundings. I go into a parking garage, and I look around. Because as a woman, there's a very unique thing where I know that someone can take me down and try to rape me. That is something that women, whether or not it's a realistic thing that's going to happen in our lifetime, which really the statistically to be violently raped, it's probably not, but we think it and we have to be aware of it. Men don't get abducted and held in a basement for years to be raped. Women and girls do. And that is something that we know, we just all know it as women. 91% of victims of rape and sexual assault are female. So the Bible has several stories of rape and assault um, against women and men. Uh, This problem has been going on since the beginning of time, at least since the time after the fall. And since 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
We're going to teach on it. These stories have a purpose. They were left in the Bible when it was decided what was going to go in there. These stories were left in there. But let me start by telling you this. This was not God's plan. That dynamic was not God's plan. None of this abuse is sanctioned by God. His heart breaks with how far humanity has fallen from his original plan. Um, and none of this was an issue before Satan came into the picture. John Piper says this. When sin entered the world, the effect it had on our relationship as male and female was devastating. God comes to Adam after he had eaten the forbidden fruit and asks what has happened. And Adam says in Genesis 3.12, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. In other words, it's her fault, or yours, for giving her to me. So if somebody must die for eating the fruit, it better be her. And Piper continues and says, There you have the beginning of all domestic violence, all wife abuse, all rape, all sexual slurs, all the ways of belittling woman whom God created in his own image. The result of sin and the curse of our age is this often perverse conflict between the sexes. So why am I teaching this today? Um, I ask God the same thing, honestly. Like, why am I going to teach on such a hard topic? And what I felt in the core of my heart was these stories deserve to be told. These women deserve to be remembered. You're not going to read about these stories in your devotional. And you're not going to hear them taught on a weekend service because they aren't for the faint of heart. But we're going to honor some of them this morning. And we're going to hear their stories Secondly, the church has sometimes been accused of not addressing things that are controversial or hard. But the Bible doesn't brush these stories under the rug. They're kept in there for us to find and read. God directed them to stay in there. It, it kind of makes me think about the Holocaust. You can't ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. You have to look at it in all of its horror and no, this cannot happen again. And I believe that God intends for men and women to look at these stories in scripture and see the horror and say, this is not okay and it can't happen. How do we keep it from happening? To be honest, I've cried a lot as I've prepared for this weekend. Um, these stories are horrible and they just wreck you as you get into them. And as women, regardless of our personal um, experience with the topic, though statistically one in three of us in this room have um, experienced some type of sexual violence, which is probably at least 30 women, but my guess would be more. Regardless of our experience, our hearts can't help but go out to these victims and rally behind them and want to see justice. So I'm going to tell you a few of the stories we find in Scripture. I'm not going to go into detail into all of them because, honestly, it's overwhelming. Um, they draw out of a deep well of sorrow in me for my fellow sisters throughout time, and it's, it's hard. These stories I'll be sharing show the depravity of humanity and its need for a Savior. Assaults are instigated by men, by women, toward men, toward women, 
and even toward angels. I don't think I, I think I ended up cutting it out, but later I was going to talk about how Lot is actually raped by his two daughters. They get him drunk and rape him because they think after Sodom burned, the world is, has ended and they need to repopulate it. And so that's how they handle it. So it, it's perverse. So I'm going to talk to you first about Dinah. Um, did you know that the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, they had a sister? You never really hear about her except for, um, you never hear for her in sermons. Uh, she's named, you, you kind of get her name when she's named at birth during a baby war between Leah and Rachel because they're both just trying to have babies to make Jacob happy. And all the other boys, their names mean something, but Dinah's born and there's no, there's no little note about what her name means or anything like that. And today we're going to honor her by learning her story. I'm going to read Genesis 34, 1 through 4. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Go get me that young girl for a wife. Um, I was offended by a bunch of the commentaries because they wanted to call out how she had left the safety of her parents' home. She had gone to hang out with the, the, her parents. It, she had left the home of her parents. She had gone out to see the women. She had really put herself in a dangerous situation. And so when he saw her, he had thought he was so attracted to her that he just grabbed her and took her, Right? Maybe it's true. Maybe she shouldn't have been where she was, but that wasn't my first thought. My first thought was she was a victim. This guy wanted her, and he took her. Uh, when I was in college, I was probably about 19 and a half. When I first got to college, I was a real, I, I didn't drink, I didn't do anything, and um, I was just a good Christian girl, but then second semester, I started dabbling in all the things that everyone around me was doing, right? Bad company corrupts good morals, and that's what I was around, and so that was the thing to do. And when I was about 19 and a half, um, I lived in San Diego at the time, and I was at a club in Tijuana. That's when we used to do those things. Um, and I'd had a little too much to drink, and there was a friend of mine um, named Alex, and I wasn't attracted to him at all. We were just friends. But I kissed him that night in the club. And at the end of the night, um, he, my friends had left because that just happens. Everybody's drinking. It's, a, it's such a crazy life when you're just in that scene. They just leave you as a friend, and then you just find, get a ride home. And that's the life I was in. And so um, he brought me home. And when he dropped me off at my apartment, I could tell that he really was too wasted to be driving. Like, I look back, and I don't even know how we got home. So 
we weren't kissing or anything at that time. I had sobered up enough where I'm like, oh, this is not where I want to go with this. And so I said, you are too drunk. You can stay here. And I put him on uh, the reclining chair and gave him a blanket. And then I went in to go into my one bedroom in my one bedroom apartment that I shared with my friend Julie. Well, she had come home and thrown up all over in the room. So, um, doesn't college life sound fun? I mean, like, as an adult, you're like, that, what a horrible existence. So, um, I came out into the, where the kitchen was, and I purposefully kept myself as far away from him as possible. I was completely clothed. I remember the outfit. It was pants like this, but black, like full pants, long shirt, belt, completely dressed. Had my teddy bear that I still slept with, and laid down by the kitchen table with my pillow and a blanket to communicate in every way, you know, this is, and I just assumed he was out and that was that. I don't know how long it was after that, but um, I wake up and he's on top of me and everything is happening fast. I, I sort of might remember my pants being pushed down. Um, what I do remember is my tears going down to the pillow. I remember that. And I was frozen. I was frozen. I didn't scream. I didn't kick. I was frozen. And finally, like, my mind caught up and my wits were about me. And I pushed him off of me. And I said, what are you doing? Because everybody in my circle knew that I was a virgin. And then I was waiting until I was married. And he said, I wanted your first time to be with someone who loved you. And I said, but I, I don't love you. And I told him to get out of the house. And I knew in that moment that I had lost my virginity. And it was not my choice that it was taken. Because I had such a good reputation, even though I had started drinking, everybody knew me as the good girl who was waiting until she was married, who was a Christian, even though I was drinking. And um, there were offers to sodomize him, to beat him up. I mean, people hated him. But God said, I need you to forgive him. It was so quick. And I did. Sometimes for, forgiveness is just a, a will. I, I'm just going to forgive him, and we'll talk about that at the end. Did it make everything miraculously better when I forgave him? No, I was afraid to go out at night. When I, finally, when I finally started going out again, I remember one of his friends coming up and wanting to get together with me, and I'm like, no, and he goes, well, why not? You had sex with Alex. And I would say, no. He raped me, like, but he had told a different story to his buddies. I didn't tell my parents for many years because this guy's family had money and I was just, I didn't know and I didn't know what my dad would do. I remember flying home after just to be with my parents but not telling them. And I remember crying and my mom vacuuming and she, she didn't ask me what was wrong. She just, I don't think she knew what to do with the weight of whatever I had brought home. But I'll tell you what forgiveness did do. Forgiveness released me 
from a future of bitterness and anger and shame. Because when you hold on to something, Satan has a whole lot to latch on to. Forgiveness didn't allow a hatred and distrust of men to grow, which can also happen. I had the unfortunate blessing of being able to see him again and hear him admit that he raped me. He told me he wanted to kill himself, and I said, you should have. <laughs> I did. But then I said, no, no, I, you shouldn't have. I'm glad you didn't. I will never forget what you did, but I forgive you. Whether I like it or not, that man was made in God's image. And it's, it, God is likely still actively pursuing Alex to bring him redemption and forgiveness and love and to adopt him as his son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for him. I wish every woman who has ever been raped or assaulted could hear the person say the words, I know that I raped you, um, because I think many times we feel complicit, even when we weren't. If you've ever been taken advantage of, in this way, I want to tell you something. Saying yes to a kiss is not saying yes to sex. Saying yes to another drink is not saying yes to sex. Saying yes to a ride home is not saying yes to sex. Saying yes to everything but sex is not saying yes to sex. Saying yes to sex is saying yes to sex. Period. If you can't say yes, you didn't say yes. I did not consent. And he knew it, and he forced it. And if that happened to you at any age, I am truly sorry. It wasn't your fault, and you, you wrestle with it that it was, but it wasn't your fault. Did I make some stupid decisions earlier that night, like maybe Dinah did? Absolutely. It's likely the Holy Spirit was probably trying to direct me all night but I, I couldn't hear him because I had dulled every sense with alcohol and my spirit wasn't tuned in. He could have been screaming, Kim, don't drink anymore. Kim, this is not safe. He is not safe. I know what's in the heart of man and he is not safe. Kim, stop. But I couldn't hear him. So yeah, I made some dumb choices. But the one choice I did not make that night was to have sex. Silence is not yes. So back to Dinah. When Dinah's brothers found out, they were outraged. And Hamor, the father of the rapist, asked Jacob, hey, can my son have Dinah for a wife? Why don't we just start mixing, why don't we start trading uh, land and food and our families can intermarry and I think we could have a really good arrangement here and we'll start with the marriage of my son to your daughter. And Jacob's sons hatch this devious plan. And this is what they tell Hamor. They say, we can't do this thing. We can't, you know what? We can't give our sister to one who's uncircumcised. Because that's a disgrace to us. On this one condition, we'll consent to you. If you and all the men in your clan get circumcised, then I think we can probably work something out. And we can trade and, and just come together and 
across our lands. And so that sounds like a fair trade to them. And so Hamor instructs every man in his clan to be circumcised. The, the sons had made this up. In verse 25 it says, Now it came about on the third day, they knew the day when the circumcision would be the most debilitating and they would be the most in pain. On the third day when they were in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. And then the brothers looted the city and took all that was in it and in the field. They captured and looted all the wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. So killing an entire city of men and then taking their wives, which means it's probably going to propagate more rape, I would imagine, because you can't just take someone's wife. It's murder. And on Jacob's deathbed, when he's blessing all of his sons and their tribes, Simeon and Levi come up for their blessing, and he actually rebukes them and chastises them for their, their anger and their violence and how they handled that situation. And their, their tribes were scattered in the promised land without any permanent inheritance rights. Uh, in Judges 19.20, we learn about a concubine. And she is not even given a name. But we're going to learn her story this morning, and we're going to remember her this morning. And honestly, I wept through this story. It highlighted the depravity of humanity and the unique victimhood of women. The interesting twist in this story is that the rapists wanted her husband. So she's betrayed by him to be raped by them. The story begins with a Levite taking a concubine from Bethlehem. Uh, he takes her back home to his home in Ephraim. And a concubine is a second wife, usually to just be producing children. Um, it was normal in their culture, um, but there wasn't a bride price for her, and so she, her status in the family was lower than the kids that she could, the heirs that she produced. The text says she was unfaithful to him. And it tells us that she left him and went to go back and live with her parents. But the wording for unfaithful that's used, it, there may or may not have been adultery involved. She may have been seen as unfaithful to him because it was a shame and a disgrace for her to leave, to be a concubine of all people and leave your husband to go back to your parents. We're not sure. I don't think it matters whether or not she did because what happened to her either way is not okay. So after she's been with her parents for four months, her husband travels to her home and tries to talk her into going back with him. And he brings his servant and two donkeys in, hoping, in the hopes that she will return with him. When he arrives, her dad is happy to see him. Come in, come in, come feast with us, come stay with us. So for several days, he stays with her family. And after several days, he leaves and she goes with him. On their journey, they stop for the night in Gibeah. And Gibeah was under, it was in the land of the Benjamites, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, no one would take them in. So they sit in the city square. 
And an old man is coming from the fields to go home, and he sees them, and he says, you guys can't stay in the city square. Come with me, and I have food for your animals. I have everything you need. He was very generous, very kind. And so that sounds great. So they go with him. I'm going to read to you what happens out of the message in Judges 19, 22 through 28, because I think it, I think it tells it well. They were relaxed and enjoying themselves when the men of the city, a gang of local hellraisers, surrounded the house and started pounding on the door. They yelled for the owner of the house, the old man. Bring out the man who came to your house. We want to have sex with him. And he went out and told them, No, brothers, don't be obscene. This man is my guest. Don't commit this outrage. Look, my virgin daughter and her concubine are here. I'll bring them out for you. Abuse them if you must. But don't do anything so senselessly vile to this man. But the men wouldn't listen. Finally, the Levite shoved his concubine out the door to them. To this group of men pounding on the doors wanting to rape someone. They raped her repeatedly all night long. Just before dawn, they let her go. And the woman came back and fell at the door of the house where her master, now it calls him master and not husband, where her master was sleeping. And when the sun rose, there she was. Verse 27, it was morning. Her master got up and opened the door to continue his journey. And there she was, his concubine, crumpled in a heap at the door, her hands on the threshold. Get up, he said. Let's get going. And there was no answer because she was dead. And we remember her this morning. We hear her story this morning as fellow sisters, loved by God, redeemed by Jesus. And we remember this woman who probably never gets talked about, but we tell her story this morning. In response to this, the Levite goes home and cuts her body into 12 pieces. This is in scripture. And he sends them out by courier to all the 12 tribes. And he says, because he's so mad at what happened to her, And he says, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. We must do something to avenge what has just happened. I don't know what he thought was going to happen when he shoved her out there, really, but here he is. So the tribes of Israel were rightly outraged at what had taken place, and they sought justice. They asked for the tribe of Benjamin, deliver those men to us for justice, and the Benjamites refused. So the tribes, all the other tribes, attack in what's known now as the Battle of Gibeah. The members of the tribe of Benjamin were systematically killed, including women and children. 
They, they were all but completely destroyed. There was a very little remnant left that's the smallest of the tribes, became the smallest of the tribes because of what happened to this young woman. There's a similar type of story in Genesis 19 when Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his family are in Sodom. And you might remember that Sodom was destroyed because it was so exceedingly wicked. And two angels arrive in Sodom, and Lot invites them into his home. And they're beautiful because they're angels. They were men. And the men of the city gather around Lot's house and demand that he give them the two guests so they could rape these angels. And Lot's response is, Look, I have two daughters that have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do whatever you want to them. Don't do anything to these men. They've come under the protection of my roof. And as a side note, for some of you here, that has been the crux of your pain. Because things happen to you when you should have been under the protection of your father's roof or your mother's roof. And it has left you betrayed and wounded. And we're going to pray for you today. So the mob thankfully refuses Lot's offer. And the angels who can take care of themselves because they're angels, made, light, made Lot look like such a jerk, right? I can't probably say words that he was. The angels are like, really, Lot? So they strike them all blind, and they tell Lot and his family, you guys get out of here because God's wrath is about to come down. Tamar. We're going to remember Tamar this morning. One of King David's sons, Amnon, falls in love with King David's daughter by another wife. It's his half-sister, and her name is Tamar. He becomes obsessed with her, the text says. And his friend tells him, why don't you pretend to be sick and then you can ask for your sister to come and take care of you. She can come and, you know, bring you food and prepare food for you and, and just kind of nurse you. And he's like, that is a fantastic idea. So he pretends to be sick. And he asks for his sister to come and care for him. And so nobody thinks anything. So Tamar, go care for your brother. So she goes in and she, she's in his chambers and she prepares food for him and, and he's like, come over here so you can, you know, give it to me. And when she gets close enough to his bed, she, he grabs her by the hand and jerks her and says, get in bed with me. And she protests. She says, no. She says, don't force me. Don't do this disgraceful thing. Where would I get rid of my disgrace if this happened? She even says, ask the king. He won't withhold me. We can get married and do this all the right way. And verse 14 says, but he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Verse 15, then Amnon hated her with such intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. 
disgraced and now unable to wear her virgin garment that that the women always wore. She puts ashes on her head and tears her robes, and her brother Absalom found out. And he loved her, and of course he was outraged, and he plotted his revenge for two years. And after two years, he brought everyone out sheep shearing and asked his dad if if, uh, his other brother could come, Amnon. And he said, sure, you could probably use the extra help. And then he ordered him killed. I know that these are hard stories to hear. And if you stay in them too long, you just sort of drown in it. And as women, they're going to strike us differently than they do men. For some of us, we resonate with the betrayal by someone we love, or we resonate with the forced nature, or with just our lack of consent and being completely ignored. And for those of you who can relate to any of this, I cannot tell you enough that God hates it. God hates it. He's not okay with it. He's not okay with it. I remember wrestling with that, going, God, where were you when it happened to me? Because my dad would have come in guns blazing, you know? God's there. There's this free will thing, and there's this enemy thing, and I know the Holy Spirit was trying to direct me, and I couldn't hear him in my situation. But he hates it. I, I, it made me think of how Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And I know he weeps over humanity in this area and what it's done to his girls. How it has skewed and destroyed his image in women in so many ways. And Satan, the younger he can get you to twist up God's image in you, he will. The Old Testament actually had some laws that dealt with rape. Um, and I'm going to give you one that, that um, I think gives us some insight into God's justice in this matter. It's in Deuteronomy 22. I have all the different, these different versions as I was studying. So I have the scripture in here because this is in the NIV. This law is tucked between two other laws that sound like rape, but when you look at the original language, it's actually there's um, consent involved. Like if two people are caught together um, and she was betrothed to somebody else, so the punishment is that they are both punished. This one was unique. But if out, of the, if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and he rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the woman. She has committed no sin, deserving death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders a neighbor. For the man found the young woman out in the country, and though the betrothed woman screamed, there was no one to rescue her. I'm going to read to you something from Katie McCoy. She's assistant professor of theology and women's studies. And this is what she said in her study of this text. Consent is the key factor here. Many women who have been assaulted share how they froze during the attack. They couldn't move. 
They couldn't even scream. And they didn't understand why. And in the aftermath, they wonder if they did something wrong. And I believe this passage of Scripture comes to their defense. The issue was not how the, how the woman expressed her lack of consent. The issue was that she did not consent. She was overpowered, exploited, and unwilling. And according to the principle expressed in this law, she was innocent. And whether you were 3, 13, 18, 23, 33, you were innocent. If this happened to you, you were innocent. If you did not consent, you are not to blame. In my situation, I froze. And did you know that the brain is biologically programmed to have a seize up and freeze when there's something to be afraid of, when there's fear? And at the same time, there's chemical reactions that keep us from thinking clearly. That's why military soldiers are trained to do something over and over and over and over again. So when something comes up, they respond out of habit. They respond because they know what to do, because they know that we're biologically made up to freeze. And you can't have soldiers freezing when something comes up that is bringing up, that is, that is scary or is going to cause panic. Freezing up is not consent. The absence of screaming and hitting is not consent. Being too young to understand what is happening is not consent. Each of the accounts in the Bible dealing with sexual assault against women precipitated a civil war. Rape was neither covered up nor ignored. It was answered and avenged. That's how the Bible treats rape. We can read how man was treating rape and women, but we can see the Bible. War, avenge. Women are made in God's image. And when a woman is subjected to assault, it directly impacts the heart of God. I believe that the pain pierces him to the core. The ultimate Abba, Father. And my flesh says, that's why he created a hell. And it's also why he sent his son. to save us, to redeem the hurt, to heal us. I don't want to close this talk without saying a few words about what sexual harassment is and what it isn't, because I think that everything's being lumped together these days, and people are losing jobs because they're being accused of sexual harassment when it, it wasn't necessarily sexual harassment. I think there's been a pendulum swing where there's hatred of men and all sorts of things happening right now with just our culture's awareness of what happens with women. So I'm going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. Um, a lot of things are being called harassment, and so I want to talk about it. Sexual assault is actual attempted or threatened sexual contact with another person without that person's consent. Sexual harassment is aggressive pressure or intimidation, pestering, badgering, repeated. 
That's sexual harassment. There is this re repetitive sort of badgering that's going on. Harassment is from the French harassé and uh, harer, to set a dog on. It's like an urging a dog to attack. That's harassment. It makes you feel unsafe, right? Because it's just this onslaught of attention that is perverse and not okay. It might include continued or repeated verbal abuse of sexual nature, repeated offensive sexual flirtations, advances, propositions, graphic verbal commentaries about an individual's body, and sexually degrading words used to describe an individual. Those are all sexual harassment. When I was in seventh grade, a boy on the bus told everybody that I was pregnant with his baby. And he talked about my pubic hair. He just went into details. And I was a very innocent, um, nerdy, what was I, 12-year-old? It was humiliating. And I felt so dirty. I felt horrible. That was sexual harassment. Not because it was this repetitive, but it was graphic and degrading. What sexual harassment isn't is a stranger telling you you're beautiful, telling you you have a nice smile. A compliment is not harassment. Flirty conversation is not harassment unless it's pestering, sexual in nature, badgering, aggressive. I say it this way, if a cute guy can say it and it's okay, but a creepy guy says it and you think it's harassment, it's not harassment. <laughs> Does that make sense? There's your plumb line. <laughs> if only he would say those things to me, that'd be dreamy, you know? <laughs> One rude or sexist, which is just a chauvinistic comment, is not harassment. Just because someone's a sexist or a chauvinist doesn't mean they're harassing you. It means they're sexist and a chauvinist and maybe a jerk. A man watching you walk by can feel disgusting. It's not harassment unless they're like following you and watching you. You know, then you go to HR. It's like, that one's okay, go to HR. Somebody whistling at you, not harassment. That being said, because a lot of these things that aren't harassment can make you feel weird, right, as a woman. This is my desire. I read this during my research, and this is my heart too. Women shouldn't be scared to walk down the street. They shouldn't be faced with intimidating and aggressive sexual shouts from cars and vans. They shouldn't be treated as dehumanized sex objects shouldn't be made to feel that men have an inherent entitlement to their bodies in public spaces. Yeah. You don't even have to be a feminist to be like, yeah, to, have, to feel this way. My prayer for our world is that men and women, that women and children would feel safe. And the only one that can do that is the Lord because it just seems like it's getting worse. The media makes us sexual objects, and then movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and books that I know none of you read glamorizes this issue. 
and normalizes it, and porn is at an all-time high and normalizes violence toward women, so you get 12- and 13-year-old boys raping a young girl. God, can, we need to be praying and on our knees for God to heal our world. My prayer for women, for you women, for any woman that has been subjected to this would find healing where they have felt violated to be able to step into the woman that God has created them to be. I've asked, um, you might remember my friends coming when I talked about anxiety to come to pray. And uh, I've asked my friends to come and be available to pray for women. I, I went a little longer than I had planned. Um, but here's what we're going to do. I didn't do discussion questions because I believe discussion is going to happen. So if you want to stay at your table and just talk about what has resonated with you or not at your table of women, where everything is confidential here, this is a safe place, then you do that. If you have been impacted by this and you want prayer, then I've asked my friends and their team to be available to pray for you. And Jennifer and Gary Paltridge are two of my very best friends. I thought it was important to have a man here because sometimes it's in this redeeming quality of a godly, healthy man breaking things off or praying that actually breaks the yoke, okay? Um, and I want to remind you of last weekend I talked about this word forgiveness, afiami, and it just means to set something down and move past it. You abandon it, you set it down, and you move past it. It's not saying what happened is okay. It's choosing to not let it control your life, setting it down, and moving on into your future. So I'm going to invite uh, Gary to come up, and we're just going to, if you, you are free to go, you are free to stay and talk at your tables, you are free to come up and get prayed for, um, because that's, I know the Holy Spirit is present to bring healing to anybody who has dealt with any of this. So I've asked Gary to just say a couple things. Yeah, that one's good. Before we go into um, ministry time. Um, <clears throat> there's, there's actually two men here today. One is myself and one is the most important man in the universe, the Lord. And as a man, I want to say I'm sorry for when we've not protected you in your own home. Please forgive me. There are some of you that pastors have not protected you. Where you've grown up in the church, but you've grown up with abuse. From your own pastor or your own father, your own brother, and I'm sorry. We are called as men to lay down our lives. As Christ laid his life down for the church. And we haven't done it. We're too selfish. Some of you have wondered in your life, why did I go this way sexually? Why did I end up being sexual or looking at pornography? And it's because of the spirit that got hold of you when you were abused. It was never your fault. I'm one of the 9% who wasn't a woman who was raped by a neighbor. I lived with it for years. 
And then many years after being saved, I found out that my young daughter had been molested by another boy in the church. And I wanted to kill him. One of my mentoring pastors called me up and said, you want me to come by? Believe me, I wanted to. But I had to deal with the fact I had to forgive. And I had to deal with the fact that I didn't like God. Because I had felt when I first got saved that God had caused those things to happen to me. And I used a lot of choice words towards the Lord when my healing had to happen as a believer. I did not take kindly to God. But you know what I found? God stood there and looked me square in the eye and he wouldn't leave. And this is the reason why. Behold, in him we're a new creation. The old things have passed away. And he said to me this one day, he said, Gary, I was so depressed. I was racked in pain. I was in bed as a believer. And the Lord said to me, he said, come with me. I said, what do you mean come with you? And I started to go off with expletives and the F word and everything. Like, you don't love me and all this stuff. And you know what he did? In his love for me, he ignored me. Because he knew my pain and he took my pain to the cross. And through him taking my pain to the cross, Isaiah 53 said, he didn't leave me to live with the pain of what I'd been through. He brought me there so he could free me from my sin and heal me of my sickness. The sickness that sin, my own life, and other people had caused. And that's why it says in the word, pray for one another that you may be healed. He's not caused us to get saved, to live a life in pain. He has caused us to become a new creation. He said to me, come with me. I went in the other room, and all he would ever speak to me about is the future that he had for me. And now I can tell you with all my heart, I can not only forgive the man, I saw the man a few weeks after that happened, and I have forgiven the boys that molested my daughter. And it wasn't a fancy thing. We went through the court cases. We went through the whole thing. And I've seen what it's like to have pastors turn their back on you, to not support you through it, to turn away. And I felt the anger. But you know what? There's light in the tunnel as well as at the end of the tunnel. There's light in the tunnel because Christ came into the darkness to bring the light. And he changed the light in me, the darkness to light in the tunnel. And then I was no longer the devil's play toy or the one for the devil to beat over. And because you are believers and you died on the cross with Christ, you are no longer to live under the pain and the suffering and the torture of the enemy. And so the Lord is here. I don't feel sorry for my past. I feel grateful for my now and my future. We are free from our past. None of this today is to take you down to the place and to leave you there. It's because as we minister now, it's so that Christ sets you free. It's so that that freedom that he did when you became his, that the enemy has to leave you alone and you can walk out of the shame and you can walk out of the pain 
and you can go on with the life that he's got you with a free spirit. I'm going to tell you one very quick story. I was asked to minister in Eureka a number of years ago. And as I do, I pray before I go to meetings, just as Kim does, Lord, what do you want to do? And about three months before I went, I think even before I knew I was going, I kept seeing this lady's face. I kept seeing her hair, and I could see the gray hair in her hair. You know, God speaks to you the way you'll understand him. I was a hairdresser for 28 years. And I would see this lady's face, and every time I saw her, I'd get dizzy. I'd have to sit down, and I didn't understand it. And I'd just see her hair, and I'd just see a bit, and just see a bit. And then one day, I went to this Baptist church in Eureka. And right there, there was a lady. And it was like I'd known her all my life. It was the lady that I'd seen three months earlier. I could see the hair. I could see the pattern. I, I, I knew everything. And I walked up to her that day. And as I went to pray for her, the words just came out of her mouth about all the horrendous abuse that she'd been through as a child. She was in her 60s. This had happened when she was 10. And that day, her husband stood by her, and I watched her countenance go from dark to light, and this was her testimony. Her father was a pastor. She'd been abused since she was 9, 10, 11 years of age, and she had suffered for 54 years. Why? Because so many people are taught in the church that God doesn't heal today. That God doesn't set the captives free. He only frees you from your sin. Well, we're here to testify to you God heals today. Broken hearts, broken bodies, broken minds, broken spirits. He heals and he replenishes you and he gives you his life so that you can go on. So that you can forgive your brother. So you can forgive those who didn't protect you. Why wasn't that lady healed 54 years before? Because nobody stood in to pray for her. It's not a timing issue that God wants you to suffer. The day of your healing was the day on the cross when he died for you. By his stripes you are healed. This isn't a, oh God, please heal. This is a God, I thank you that you have done this, that you can be free. He loves you with all of his heart. And I see him just smiling on you. And then I see him with that nod and that wink that says, hey, come on. We got places to go, things to do. Because Jesus doesn't have a religious bone in his body. Not a religious bone in his body. He has life and he has love. So I want to encourage you that as we pray, sin is the issue. And forgiveness is the grace and the mercy that God has given you and I. That as we pray with you, as we pray for you, just as you come up, you don't have to think, is God going to meet you? He is there waiting for you. This is why you're here today. So, didn't mean to say that much. Didn't intend to cry. Well, there's some of you that you have struggled in your life about what, why did I end up drinking more? 
why did I end up drinking alcohol more? Why, why did I, you know, do these things? Why do I struggle with them? And it, it's because of the way the enemy had a hold through abuse that happened. Some of you, it can be weird because you've even suffered at the hands of a sister. You know, for some of you, your, your own sexual life became distorted because, because of abuse you got introduced into pornography. You know, I, I will tell you as a man, there is no pastor, there is no man, there is no man ever that should watch Game of Thrones. Because it, it lifts up rape and the abuse of women. And I've met pastors and I want to slap them. Because they're addicted to these things. We are called to protect you, to honor you, to lift you up above ourselves as Christ lives up the church. If a man doesn't do that for you in your relationship, in your life, walk away. Some of you are still being abused in your own relationships by the way a man speaks to you. It is not right. It is right for you to say you cannot do this to me anymore because some of you, like the lady, you are living under a controlling husband. And so you have lived in a situation where you have been raped inside of your marriage. And it is not okay. And these are specific words for people that you know you've been struggling. And I tell you, the devil will try to tell you, you can't come forward with that. You can't come forward with this. Yes, you can. Because it's time to bury what the enemy has done and step out of the grave into the life he's given you. It's not a question of you being brave. It's the fact that you're a daughter of the king. You're the daughter of a king, and he loves you just as much as any man or any other woman. There are a few of you, you've dealt with self-hatred all your life. You're critical towards your own body, and it's because of what happened to you in the past. And I'm here to tell you, you can be free from the spirit of self-hatred because God created you out of love. And there are some of you that have never been able to love yourself because you've equated what God made as being wrong. What God made is beautiful. It is sin that distorted it. And sickness was never in this world until there was sin. The author of sickness is the devil. I want to ask you to do me a favor. God is so good. And he wants to touch your life. Would you mind standing? with me. And as Kim said, we're going to be over here, and it's not because we're anybody. It's because he is everything for you so that you can know of the grace and the love of God in your life. But as a group, who are the people that you need to forgive? For some of you, it's yourself. You blamed yourself for what happened, just as Kim talked about. And we had a lady who was raped by her boyfriend at 15. She had internal stomach issues. She had problems going on in her body. 
and the Lord revealed that she'd been raped, and he said, it's not her fault. She had the hardest time in letting go that it wasn't her fault because she invited him back that night. But when she actually accepted it wasn't her fault, guess what happened? All of her stomach issues were healed at the same time. Because God is a God of love. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. And if you have a hatred of men, now is the time that you can give it up. If you, you know, the Lord just wants to say to you that he never, ever intended for these things to happen to you in your life. And he never intended for men to be controlling. We as men are called to set you free. There's moms here, you weren't able to protect your children. And the Lord wants you to know you're free from every weight. But right now, you can just simply tell him, I forgive them all. And he wants you to know right now that there is not one rock that he won't overturn to get you to understand his love for you is a pure love, undistorted. Some of you have lost trust in yourself because of what happened to you. And today the Lord wants to restore it all. God is not the God of half the death on the cross. He's the God of the whole death for all of our sin that we may be completely healed. So it goes simply like this, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive the one that hurt me the most. And I forgive you, Lord, because I know it's not your fault that you do show yourself as a man. And I choose to accept you as God. And I choose to let go of anything of men that I put on you. I hear the Lord saying, I'm so sorry for what your brother did. For one of you, it's for what your two brothers did. It's time to forgive them and move on with your life. And this isn't about pushing emotion. This is about the very facts of people's lives and souls. This is what he died for. Lord, I ask you to heal my memories, to heal my mind and my imagination. And Lord, 
You've created me to live as a new creation with life in abundance. And so fear, you are no part of my life anymore. And I command you to leave me. I know some of you are not used to standing. Some of you are not used to having people pray for you. But you know, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father forever praying for you. But he is not praying, oh God, oh God, oh God, please. <laughs> he took care of it at the cross for you. And as people lay hands on you, as people pray for you today, you can know that it is ordained by God. That this is the end of one chapter of your life. And that there is a new chapter. The end of the book is way better than the beginning. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, as you brood over this beautiful group of ladies, we ask you to come and to do all that you want to do.